All right, fellas, let's, uh, let's start off with prayer, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, and the, just the blessing of being able to come to a conference like this. And Father, our desire is that our hearts would be soft and pliable and moldable, Lord, and teachable. And that you would do a work within us, Lord. We want to be better husbands. We want to be more godly leaders. We pray, Father, that you would just instruct us and encourage us and teach us how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I had the privilege yesterday of coming out and uh, getting here a little bit early. Went to a meeting with Pastor Ray and Pastor Terry and my son-in-law. We were out golfing. And we went out golfing. And I, uh, it reminded me of a story or a joke about these three guys that were out in the golf course and they were out golfing together and they got struck by lightning. And in this case, we'll make it me, Pastor Ray and Terry, Pastor Terry. So we get to heaven and first thing they tell us in heaven is, you guys are gonna be so excited because there's tons of golf here. You can golf as much as you want to and the, the courses are beautiful, they're pristine. And so but we have two rules that you have to follow when you're golfing. And if you, you just need to pay careful attention to these rules. And so the first one is if you uh, make a hole in one, something really great is going to happen to you. But if you hit a duck, something very bad will happen to you. So I get up and I hit the ball and going good. It's a par three. It's looking great. It's going and all of a sudden, quack, 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 quack. I hit a duck. I'm like, no. So they bring out the ugliest, homeliest woman in heaven, and they handcuff me and her together. And I'm like, oh man, for eternity, I have to spend eternity with her. So then, Pastor Terry gets up and he hits it. It's going great, going great. Looks like it's gonna be a hole in one maybe. Bam, he hits a duck. They bring out another homely woman and they handcuff Pastor Terry and this woman together. And Terry's just like, no. Then Ray gets up and he hits it, boom! It's going perfect, lands on the green, rolls in, hole in one. He's like, yes! Because he knows something great's gonna happen to him. And they bring the most beautiful woman in all of heaven, and they handcuff Ray and this beautiful woman together. And Ray's like, what did I do to deserve this? This is fantastic. I've never made a hole in one on earth, but now look. And then the woman looks over at Ray and she goes, I hit a duck. <laughs> <laughs> so don't tell him I said that, okay? <laughs> Just between us guys. Well, guys, um, I got asked to share about marriage. And uh, Ray asked me to give a little blurb about what I was going to be sharing about. So I just kind of wrote this and sent it to him. That men, God has called us to lead our families spiritually, to prioritize our lives with God first above all, our marriage is second, our children next, and all else after that. And so this is the first step to enjoying a blessed marriage. Now, as I think about this topic, the topic that we've been learning about here, guys, is standing firm in different aspects of our lives. And so standing firm in marriage is huge. Um, in case you don't know who I am, my, my name is Joseph Gross. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Silver City. Uh, I've been there for 27 years. I've been a believer now for 38 years, walking with the Lord. I've been married for 37 years to the same woman. And uh, we're blessed with two sons. We have two daughters. We have six grandchildren, and we have two more in the oven right now. So we're about to get eight. And we're real excited about that. 
And just out of curiosity, guys, uh, how many of you guys are married here? Raise your hands, almost all of you. Um, um, how many of you guys have been married between one and five years? Okay. Yeah, don't, yeah put your hands up high. Um, how many of you guys between five and ten years? A few more. How many of you guys between, between 10 and 20 years? A few more. How many of you guys between um, 20 and 30 years? Wow, a few more. How many of you guys uh, between 30 and 40 years? You guys are viejos. <laughs> All right, and so anybody over 50 years? Wow, that's awesome, you guys. Why don't we switch and you guys come teach us, right? <laughs> so anyway, God has, God has made clear to me over the years that having a, a very correct or a right foundation is everything in a marriage. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those that labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food, for the Lord grants sleep to those that He loves. So we have to have the Lord as our foundation. Otherwise, what we're trying to do in any aspect, especially as a Christian, we're doing it in vain. Jesus talked about that as well, didn't he? He talked about the wise and the foolish builders. The wise man is the one who hears the word, puts it into practice. He's like the person who built his house upon a rock. And of course, we know, guys, that the rock is Jesus. And so the foundation of our marriage, the foundation of our lives as Christians has to be built upon Jesus in order for it to withstand the storms. The foolish man is the one who hears the word, doesn't put it into practice. The, the storms come and they beat, they rage against that house and it might be your marriage. And the house falls with a mighty crash because it was not built on the foundation of the rock and that is on Jesus Christ. So when we look at the scriptures, the first thing that God spoke about man after he made man, if you go back to Genesis, and on day six, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So that's immediately what God says. Now, interesting because when you look at the creation story, God had created man all the days before that, he said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then finally, when man gets created, he's by himself. It is not good that man should be alone. So he made a helper suitable for him. Now he made the woman. 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 She made the woman, and he brought her to the man. Now as we look at marriage, we know that marriage is really was established by God. It's the first and oldest institution, they say, that was established by God. And the truth is, guys, this is important for us to remember. If you're going through struggles in your marriage or you're having difficulties, remember this. God cares about our marriages. He cares about your marriage. He cares about you as a husband, and He cares about your wife. He cares about us. Now, after God created them, we're told the next thing that God did is He blessed them, and He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Increase and fill the earth or subdue it. And so we know that the Lord loves children. And uh, now that I'm a grandpa, I mean I have my four kids, but boy now that I'm a grandpa, I really love babies. I just, I'm so excited every time my kids say, we're pregnant. Like my, one of my, my son-in-law right here, 
Um, the only thing I really like about him is that he made four babies. You know, he's made how many? Three? Three grandbabies for me. Yeah, he's made. That's, otherwise, I don't like him. But anyway, he's a good guy other than that. No, I love him. I love him with all my heart. But so we, he, has three, he has three of my grandbabies. He made three of them. So there is such a blessing. So we see that God's plan from the beginning was to bless us in our families, to establish the family, to, to establish husbands and wives and children. Now, 4,000 or so years later, Jesus comes along and he reiterates to us what marriage is supposed to be. And he tells us, and if you'll have a Bible, look over at Matthew chapter, we'll look at a few verses, Matthew chapter 19. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus gives us a, a teaching on, on marriage that's, I think, really, really neat. It says in Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and he went into, this, into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now keep in mind that there were different schools of thought back then. One of them was that you only could divorce your wife if she was unfaithful to you. And then there was a real liberal school of thought that if your wife was displeasing to you in some way, uh, she burnt your food, uh, she got in an argument with you in front of your parents, um, a whole bunch of stuff. She spun in the streets, you could just divorce her. So this was sort of a controversy that was brewing in Jesus' day. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. So right off the bat, Jesus, and this is important in our culture, isn't it? How many genders are there? That's right. Someone said, if I had a nickel for every gender there is today, I would have 10 cents. Because that's all there really is. Although they're saying there's a, tons of genders, right? There's male and female. And so he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So that's how God views marriage. That we become, in God's eyes, one flesh. And then he goes on. He says, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus is answering their question. He's saying, look, no, it's not cool just to divorce your wife for any old reason. What God has joined together, let man not separate. And they, then they said, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because, and this is, this is a key, because we're going to talk a little bit about this, why there's such, so much divorce today. But he says, because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Because they're like, man, this is hard. You mean we just have to stay with her no matter what? And so the, the whole idea back then was a controversial. And now we, we move to our day today. And it's crazy. I was looking up some of the statistics on modern marriage, getting ready for this. And, uh, and, you know, it's crazy that even in our culture, in the last 20, 30, 40 years, there's been a deterioration in the, the way that people in our culture are actually looking at marriage. As Bob Dylan's saying in one of his songs, the times they are a-changing. In 2019, I read a Gallup poll 
that 73% of Americans say that divorce is morally acceptable. That's a high percentage. 73%. Now that's up 14 points since 2001. In 2001, they did that same poll, and in 2001, 59% only said, compared to 73%. But back in 1954, 53% said they believed that divorce was okay, and 43% said it was not okay. I want to read to you uh, a screenshot I took of just a, a few more statistics. I don't want to write them all down, but hopefully I can figure out the technology here real quick. But uh, I wrote, I, I, I took a picture of these, and it's just crazy the mindset that we see in our culture today when it comes to divorce. So, the moral acceptability of divorce by religious or by church attendance, religious people or church attendance. The percentage that, that are saying that it is morally acceptable. Now these are people that are in our churches week in and week out. And between 2001 and 2004, the very, and I'm just going to read the very religious because there's very religious, somewhat religious, and then non-religious. Well, I'll show you. And the very religious in 2001 to 2004, 43% said it was morally okay, it was acceptable to get a divorce. The somewhat religious, 62%. The not religious, 79%. Then we move up to 2005 to 2009. It went up from 43% to 44% amongst the very religious. Then in 2010 to 2014, it goes up to 48%. Then 2015 to 2017, 51%. So it's going up, up, up. It's creeping up in a bad way. There's a bad trend happening in the United States and even in the church when it comes to our view of marriage. Now here's another one. Um, the moral acceptability of divorce by age group. In 2001 to 2004, the 18 to 34 year olds said 65% said it was fine, and then it's been going up to 67%, 70%, and now 76%. But here's what's even sadder to me. In 2001 to 2004, the 55 and older group, and there's some of us in that category, we're near it, right? 57% from 2001 to 2004 said it was okay to get divorced. Then it went up in 2005 to 2009 to 63%, then to 68%. Now between 2015 and 2017, a couple years ago, it's up to 71%. So we see that there's a bad trend that is happening in our culture when it comes to this idea of marriage and divorce. And another thing that's gone way up in this, this culture now is cohabitation. People don't think anything of living together and having children, and, and I have, that's happened in my family, my own family. I've had, I don't know how many talks with one of my sons who's been engaged, but he's living with a girl for a long, long time. And they, oh yeah, yeah, dad, I know, I know, dad, I know, dad. And, and you know, and it's like, come on, son. This is what the Lord says. And there's this mindset amongst the younger generation, a lot of them, that it's no big deal. Here's some more statistics. Almost 50% of all marriages, this is all marriages, when you combine them all together, end in divorce or separation. 41% of all first marriages end in divorce, and 60% of second marriages end in divorce, and then it goes higher, 73% of third marriages end in divorce. 
America has this, and we're, here's what's crazy. We are supposed to be, right, one of the most Christian nations, although we can see it's not like that anymore. We're supposed to be one of the most Christian nations on the planet, and yet we are, we are six, we have the sixth highest divorce rate in the world uh, amongst, the, amongst the nations of the world. Here's some more crazy stats. Every 13 seconds, there's a divorce in the United States. 277 divorces per hour, 6,646 divorces per day, 46,523 divorces per week, 2,419,196 per year. Guys, that's bad. That is not good, especially in light of what we're going to learn about how God views divorce. And how Jesus said, what God has brought together, let man not, what? Put asunder, let man not separate. And so we look at these statistics and it's just sad. There are nine divorces in the time that it takes for a couple to recite their wedding vows. Every two minutes there's nine divorces. 554 divorces occurred during the average romantic comedy. So <laughs> you're watching a romantic comedy, you and your sweetheart. During that period of time, there are 554 divorces. 1,385 1, 1, divorces happened during the average wedding reception. So what we, what we see is that these averages and these things that are happening, these statistics are pretty bleak when it comes to what God says and how God views marriage versus how we now are looking at marriage in our culture in a general sense. Malachi, turn over to Malachi, and you guys have probably heard all of these things. So what I'm going to be doing probably is reminding you of some of the things uh, about marriage, but we're going to get into the other part of marriage, like our responsibility as men in a minute. But uh, Malachi chapter 2 Verse 13, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? Why, Lord? He says it's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So God says, listen, guys, if you're going to be blowing in the area of marriage and here you're going to be coming and saying, Lord, I want, to, I want to worship you. I want to serve you. And you've broken the covenant. God says, I'm acting as a witness between you and your wife. And so we know he goes on. He says, has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and in spirit, they are his. Think about that. When we dedicate our lives to the Lord at the altar and we're saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm making these vows before you and before all these witnesses. He says they are one and he says, he says they are his. And he says, and why one? Because he, God, was seeking godly offspring. So he says, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And so we know God, there are certain things that God hates. And one of them in the list is divorce. Now, we know based on what Moses said, because our hearts are hard, because we live in a fallen world, that divorces happen. They've always happened. But guys, what can we do to make sure that we are doing our best 
to make sure that we as men are, are, are being the spiritual leaders of our household, that we are making every effort to do the best that we could possibly do to make our marriages blessed and successful. That's really what's important to me. I think about that all the time. I remember one time, this was a lot of years ago, and you know, when you're married, you're trying to figure things out. And have you guys seen the, the book on, on uh, I've seen it jokingly, they, they write, they've written this book supposedly, well it's not really for reals, but uh, this book on, on how, to, how to figure out your, uh, your wife. And it's like that thick, you know, it's like tons and tons of pages. I remember one time I was like praying, Lord, how can I love my wife better? And Lord, how can I be a better lover? You know, how can I make love to my wife better? That's what I'm thinking, fleshly way, right? And the Lord spoke to me and he says, you need to go vacuum. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, Lord, what are you talking about? Vacuum, you know, but here's the thing. Have you guys read that my, my son-in-law just bought the book, Love Languages, right? My wife's love language is acts of service. So when I wash the dishes, when I clean the bathroom, when I, you know, wash her car, when I uh, va vacuum the living room, whatever, that to her is an act of, it's like for the guy making love almost, you know what I'm saying? She sees it that way. She sees that as an act of me showing her love. So we have to learn to understand our wives to the best of our ability so that we can start to love them the way God wants us to love them and to show them love in a way that they receive it and see it. Like if I say to my wife, honey, I love you so much, let's go elk hunting. She'll be like, what? Are you nuts? She hates hunting. No, no, honey, but if you really love me, you know, you're going to go and I'll teach you how to gut an elk. You'll really like it. No, it's not going to happen. So I know not even to ask my wife to go elk hunting with me. I used to at the beginning ask her to go with me, but no, it's not a good thing. But you know what I'll do with her? I'll go shopping with her. She'll say, honey, you want to go? And I hate shopping, guys. I literally, I do, I hate going. And so I go with her, you know, I remember one time we went to El Paso. And from Silver City, there's no mall, there's nothing. It's kind of, our, our, our mall is Walmart. You go to Walmart, you see everybody you know, right? But we go to El Paso this one time, and we're in the mall. And I'm not kidding, I have two daughters and my wife. And when they get together and shop, they can literally torture me. Because they, they will stay, I went in the other store the other day, and they were, we were in Bells, and they were staying looking at the same rack for I don't know how long, and I go, we've already been here, guys, like 20 minutes. Dad, we just got here. I'm like, what? And so anyway, we were, we were, in, uh, we were at this mall, and I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, I said, Dia, I said, listen, um, I'm going to sit here on this bench right here. You guys can go shopping in the mall, and I'm just going to sit right here. When you're finished, come back and get me. And so they left, and I sat there, and I sat there. And they just wouldn't, they weren't coming back forever, it seemed like. It was like two hours. And so I'm sitting there, and I noticed that right where I was sitting at, there happened to be one of those toenail painting places where they do, what do they call that, where women go? Some of you guys probably go do that, but don't admit it, okay? But anyway, so, so they were, there was these, there was, so I was noticing these five ladies went in together to get a pedicure or whatever, and so they come out like an hour later, and I'm still sitting on the bench waiting, and all these five ladies come out, and they did something that you would never, <laughs> never see guys do. They walk out, and they're in a circle, and they're all looking at each other's toes, and they're talking about each other's toes. 
And I'm, I'm like, I hate toes. What are they doing? You know? And so, so for me, I go with my wife to do stuff that I know she likes to do, even though I don't like to do it because I know it's a blessing to her. So there's things that we have to do, guys, sacrificially to show our wives that we love them. Now, here's what's interesting is some more statistics and stuff. Um, as we look at divorce, the divorce rate amongst people 50 years and older, here's what's really sad, has doubled in the last 20 years. So guys my age and a little bit older, the divorce rate has doubled. And it's sad when you see someone make it as long as I've made it in marriage. We've been married for, not, I'm not saying like it's this horrible thing, but we've been married for 37 years. And then you hear people getting a divorce when they've been married that long. And that's the kind of thing that's happening. Now, as we look at these bad trends and we see how bad it is and we see the deterioration, why divorce? What causes divorce? Well, I found some more stuff about this. Uh, lack of commitment. 73% said the reason that they get they've gotten a divorce or they were wanting a divorce was because of a lack of commitment. So what does that mean? Are we truly committed to our spouses in a godly way? Are we as the men who are called to be the spiritual leaders of our household, are we leading our women and our wives, our children in a godly way that we, they know that we are committed to them because we love them and we are showing them by our example? And that's so important. The next one, the next on the list is that they argue too much. A lot of couples argue. They fight. And my wife and I, we fight a little bit. We don't usually fight too, too much. But we, like in, in, my, in all the years we've been married, I can remember like maybe two or three big fights. But we don't fight much. We'll like bicker at each other a tiny bit. And, uh, and so... I try my best. I tell you guys, there's been a th uh, probably a thousand, two thousand, I don't know how many times, that the Lord has told me, Joseph, just hold your tongue. And that is a hard thing to do. Because I'm competitive, and I would rather win the fight, right? But the Lord tells me, no, humble yourself. Humble yourself and hold your tongue. I remember one time I'm sitting at the house, and I get a phone call. This is a, this, it was on a, on a Wednesday. No, it was on a Thursday. And on a Wednesday, my sons, my two sons were teenagers at that time. And they were starting to hang out with this guy that I didn't like in, in, from Las Cruces. And they said, Dad, we want to go to Deming and meet, his name was Mike or something. And he goes, we want to go meet Mike. Can you give us a ride to Deming on Friday? And he'll meet us and pick us up in Deming. And I'm thinking in my mind, Friday's my sermon pre preparation day. So I say to the boys, no, I got to work on my sermon that day. So, and I just kind of blow it off. I said, ask your mom. And I already knew that, that Dia, my wife, couldn't do it either. And so I knew she was going to say no. So it was just like, now I don't have to take them. I'm, my out is my sermon, right? And so a little while, next day, uh, we're sitting there at the house and I get a phone call. And it's one of my friends from the church. And he goes, hey, Joseph, what are you doing tomorrow, Friday? I go, I'm working on my sermon, man. And he goes, you want to go golfing? And I was like, uh, I'm, and, and my wife's in the kitchen. I'm sitting on the couch and she's listening to this conversation, right? She goes, and Rick goes, you want to go golfing? And I go, well, I got to work in my sermon, but I go, I could probably get up like at four in the morning and start working on it. And maybe I could be done by 10 or something. And, and my wife goes, wait a minute. You said you couldn't take your sons to Deming and now you're going to go golfing? 
and get up at four in the morning? Like she's upset with me. Like you'll make this sacrifice, you know, to go golfing, but you won't make a sacrifice for your sons. And I'm thinking, no, you should understand. I don't want my sons to be with that guy. But, but still, that wasn't, the, that wasn't her point. She didn't want me to go golfing is what she didn't really want. So I made the, one of the biggest mistakes I could possibly make. So she's saying this to me, right? And my friend is on the phone and he's listening. And he goes, oh, bro, you're in trouble, man. Oh, he's laughing on the other end, right? And so I get upset, right? And so I, I, I say, hold on, Rick. And I look, look over at my wife and I go, why don't you mind your own business? And the crowd said, oh. <laughs> you guys all know that was the stupidest thing I could have possibly said, right? Because, oh my gosh, I saw fire in her eyes, man. And she's pretty calm, but man, she, she's a godly woman, but she got fire in her eyes. I looked over at her, I was like, oh, I'm dead, right? And so I, I go, no, Rick, I probably better not go. You know, I, I got to get my stuff done, whatever. And I hang up and we get in this big, we're a big giant fight. And she was mad as a hornet, and I was mad as a hornet because she embarrassed me in front of my friend. And, and then I said that to her. And then so, so that night, all day, we didn't talk. And I know the scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? I know that. And, and yet, I was so mad. I'm like, I'm not going to talk to her. She needs to make up to me. She embarrassed me. And I'm thinking, there's no way that I need to be the one to apologize. So I went to bed, and she went to bed in the same bed. And we've never like not slept together, even if we've had a little spat, but so she's on her side, I'm on my side, and she just falls right asleep. And I'm laying there all ticked off. Like what the heck, she's sleeping and I'm over here all mad. Let's still, I'm mad as a hornet, right? And so I'm laying there like, like I didn't even fall asleep. I couldn't fall asleep the whole night. I was just so mad because she, here she is practically snoring, right? And so I get up at four in the morning anyway, and I go in there and I start working on my sermon. And it was so funny because that sermon was about love. <laughs> it was about forgiveness. And so as I'm working on the sermon, the Lord's like, this is you. This is you. You better go fix it. You better do it. And so at about 11 o'clock, I hear my wife come out the front door. And I have an office at my house, a study with its own separate door. And we have a little patio porch for the front door. And she comes out and I could hear her talking to my son. And she was asking him to help her carry something. So <clears throat> I decided... You know what? Okay, Lord, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to tell her I'm sorry. I'm going to make up with her, you know? And so <laughs> I hear out there talking. And I open the door and I'm about to say, hey, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I said. And so I, all I said to, to kind of make an icebreaker, I open the door and I go, say, hey, hon, what are you, <coughs> where are you going or what are you doing? She goes, why don't you mind your own business? <laughs> I slammed the door all ticked off and went back to working on my sermon. I was, <laughs> I was so mad. And so we went to bed. We almost went to bed mad again. And finally she came into my office and we just cried and we told each other we were sorry and all, all that. It was, it, was, it was funny. But anyway, um, but I learned a lesson there. So arguing is a big way or one of the reasons that people get divorced. The next one 55% said because of adultery. Guys, let me tell you guys, this is a big temptation in our culture. Because people don't respect marriage, there are people that will jump in bed like that. You go to the gym, there's a nice looking girl, she comes over and starts talking to you. <clears throat> Next thing you know, 
you're developing a relationship you shouldn't have. You get on Facebook, uh, social media, whatever, and you're developing a, a relationship with a woman you shouldn't be developing a relationship with. And those kinds of things, or you're at work and you start to talk to this woman. I tell you guys, for me, I try my best to guard myself and my, my, my marriage against any kind of intrusion like that. I remember when I started working at Honeywell in Albuquerque, and I was a young Christian, and man, there was a lot of beautiful women at my work. And I came out of the lifestyle um, of partying drugs and chasing chicks. That was my favorite thing to do. So when I gave my life to the Lord and I married my wife, I was like, Lord, I want to be faithful to my wife my whole life. So give me strength. And the Lord said to me, treat every woman as though I'm standing on one side of you and your wife is standing next to you. So that when you talk to any woman, if you have to talk to one of them, that's how you're going to be thinking about. That's what you're going to be saying. So I did that. And I avoided, like, I mean, there were beautiful women. I would, not, I would not flirt with them. I would not ask them their names, nothing. And it protected me. It put a safeguard on my marriage. So we have to put safeguards on our marriages. Pornography, one of the guys talked about it. It's a huge problem amongst men. The lust of the eyes. Is, it, and I'm not telling you guys that I don't struggle with it. I struggle with it too. And I ask the Lord all the time, Lord, help me. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Because the lust of the eyes is a way that Satan can get in there and begin to cause destruction in our marriages. And so there's a lot of things we have to be careful. But adultery, guys, it's, it's so common now and it destroys so many marriages. I have counseled so many couples who have fallen into that sin and it's destroyed their marriages. Uh, getting married too young, 46%. Unrealistic expectations, 45%. I always talk to couples during premarital counseling about expectations. And I talk to them about, and I talk to them about sexual stuff too. I'll tell you, let me tell you a little secret. I hope my wife never hears this, but the very first time Pastor Ray asked me to do a teaching at a marriage retreat, we were going to do it up there in, in uh, I think it was in Santa Fe or, or somewhere like that. I can't remember. Or, or uh, what's that other place? Glorietta or something like that. We were up there somewhere and we did this marriage retreat. And there was four or five pastors speaking. And they said, Pastor Joseph, we want you to do the uh, teaching on sex in marriage. Now, this has been an area from the time because, uh, because of where I came from in my background. When I got married, I had so much guilt and, and, and I had gotten five girls pregnant and they had all had abortions. I had a messy life before I got saved. So when I came into the marriage, that was like, for me and Dia, that was almost like taboo. She knew about my past and we never talked about sex. We never talked about expectations. So when we went into the relationship, in my mind, I'm like, I'm ready to rock and roll. And women and men are different. I remember hearing a speaker one time, and the speaker was saying, how many of you men in here um, have wives that want to have sexual intimacy more than you do? And like, no, no, the, he flipped it first the other way. How many of you, and he said, be honest, it was couples retreat thing. How many of you, be honest, how many of you men are, are the ones that are usually initiating sexual intimacy? And almost all the guys' hands raise up, right? Then he asked the flip question. 
And he says, how many of you men have wives that are the ones that always want to have sexual intimacy? And, and he goes, if there's any, he didn't ask him to raise their hands, but he said, if there's any of you in here and your wife is like that, he goes, we all hate you. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So my wife and I kind of had this struggle. So I get asked to do the thing on sexual intimacy. And I'm like, no, I don't think I want to do it. Why don't one of you guys do it? And they're like, no, you do it. And we're like, this is how us pastors decide. I got outvoted, right? So I had to do it. So I got up and I did it. And I talked about, I said, how many of you men in here uh, got married because you want to practice uh, celibacy? Raise your hands, right? And no one raised their hands, of course. And it's the men and women. And so I talked about intimacy and talked about all that stuff. But here's the thing, guys. <laughs> we get out of the marriage thing. We just been through a whole weekend of enriching our marriage and having this beautiful time of growing in the Lord together. After she finished hearing my teaching, we got in the car to come home and she was fuming. She had that look again. Fuming mad. She didn't like what I said. And we got in another massive fight. All the way from Santa Fe to Silver City. Six hours. We got in a fight and we didn't talk to each other. And that time we didn't talk to each other for like two days. Because I was so mad. Because I thought I gave a good teaching on sexual intimacy. But she hated it. And so, you know what that did though? It brought a lot of healing in our marriage. Because we finally started talking about it. We started talking about expectations. We started talking about my desires and her desires or lack of desire or, or whatever. Or the differences. And, and so that was a good thing for us. But man, that, that had, it came the hard way because of Pastor Ray. It was all his fault. And so he, he did it. So, so, but you know, it, it brought a lot of healing. And now we are much better at talking about it and, and communicating. So that's, that's an important thing expectations. Um, another one, um, lack of quality in the relationship. Guys, do you guys realize that marriage takes a lot of work? How many of you guys own your own houses and stuff? How many of you guys have yards like grass? Right? It takes a lot of work. You got to go out there and water it. You got to weed and all, all the stuff, right? I remember my dad had this gigantic, like two or three acres of grass. He had beautiful trees everywhere. He had, he had fruit trees. And we all lived on this five acre compound. And my dad was retired and he spent all of his time out there making it, our yard look beautiful. It looked like a park. And then he died. And then all of a sudden me and my brother's like, who's gonna take care of the park? You know, it's like, it is like, oh my gosh, it was so much work and effort to make it look like my dad made it look. Well, in marriage, guys, it takes a lot of effort to make our marriages work. It takes a lot of thoughtfulness put in on our part to make our marriages work. Going out on dates, bringing your wife flowers, doing things that she likes to do, reminding her, giving her words of affirmation, words of encouragement. I get on my Facebook, I mean on my, uh, on my phone every day, my wife, she's a principal at our school at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy. And, uh, and I have an office at home where I still study, and then I don't go to the, the, to the church and study very much because the way our building is, it's just noisy and it's chaotic and everything, so I don't go there to study. But... What I do is, like, I, I send my wife texts every day. I tell her how much I love her. I tell her that she's beautiful. I tell her that she's, I just, I'm always trying to tell her stuff that I, that to give her affirmation about how much I love her. Like last, this morning, I, I said, I missed you last night and I missed our good morning kiss. You know, 
to me, I'm trying to be romantic. She probably goes, what a dork. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's what she said. But the thing is, is I'm always trying to, to let her know how much I care about her. And we've been married all these years, and I'm always telling her how beautiful she is, how nice she looks, all that. And I want her to know that. Now, the, another one, here's divorce, causes divorce. 25% of divorces are caused because of domestic violence and abuse. Now, guys, I just want to tell you this. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know about your background. Some of you guys may have been raised in homes where you saw your dad beat your mom up or hit her. Guys, we have to stop that curse. We have to break that cycle. We cannot be as godly men ever laying a hand on our wives. And this one really gets me upset. A while back, we had a wife in our church come to speak to my wife and myself. And her husband, a non-Christian, had beat her up. And I, I asked her, I said, would he be willing to come in for some counseling? together with she goes oh no no he won't he won't want to talk to you and I, and I, I like I wanted to talk to the guy because that upsets me when that happens and so I wanted to start a new ministry in the church called um, the outback behind the church ministry <laughs> with some of the big guys from the church but it didn't go over very well it's I think it was fleshly uh, kind of a, it was a fleshly inspiration not the Lord but that kind of stuff is, is really sad how much time we got what time am I, am I done? Does anyone? What does your little badge say? Are you serious? Oh my lord! Okay, so if okay, I'm not going to finish. Um, so let me see. And what do I want to say? Because I want to give you guys some pointers, right? Um, here, if you guys are taking notes, here's some ideas for you how God wants us to be as men. God wants us to be godly bold leaders godly bold leaders that we are to lead our wives and our children in a godly fashion and to be bold Christians read these verses I'll give you some ideas Acts chapter 4 verse 29 bold faithful God wants us to be faithful as husbands faithful fathers faithful leaders faithful examples Paul tells young Timothy, set an example in faith and life and love and in speech and in purity. Well, in, as Christian men, we need to be setting the spiritual tone and the examples in our houses. And so we're called to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2. Then also uh, dependable. 1 Corinthians 16.13. We're to be dependable. That our wives, our families can look to us and they know that we are following Jesus. We're following in his footsteps. So when, they're, when, when we're called to be the spiritual leaders of the home, they can depend upon us because they know that we're hearing from God. They know that we're tr following the Lord. We're dependable. They can trust us because they know we're godly men. Right? Okay, and then to be strong. Guys, we're, we need to fight the good fight of faith for our families and for our marriages. Ephesians 6.10 6, says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to do it with the Lord's strength that He provides for us. But we have to depend upon His strength. Being courageous. Joshua 1.7, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you made that declaration? And that's, that's what it's going to be. Guys, we're going to church. You know, we go to church. We've, I've been a Christian, like I said, 38 years. My oldest son just turned 35. And our kids have been in church their entire lives. Why? 
because that's what I decided. We will serve the Lord, as for me and my house. And we have tried our best to stick to following Jesus as close as possible. Be sacrificial, sacrificial love. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 13. Truthful, being truthful. Are we truthful men? Are we godly men where, where our word is true? Ephesians 4.25. Are we pure? We need to be pure. And that is uh, Psalm 24, verses 4 and 5. Loyal. Are we loyal? Proverbs 18, 24. There's 12 of these. Uh, number 10, charitable. Are we loving? Are we charitable? Are we giving? Not being selfish. At the heart of every marital problem is selfishness in one form or another, guys. And then meek. Meek. That we are men of meekness. Not weakness, but meekness. Power under control. And then um, number 12, being wise. Having a, a, a mindset that our wisdom is to come from God, that we are seeking the wisdom of the Lord, 1 Peter 1, 5. And so these things are, oh yeah, the meek one is Matthew 5, 5, for meek. Matthew 5, 5. And then so finally, I'll close with this, guys, um, since I'm over time probably. I can still see Dion preaching over there. So anyway, but listen to this one. I love this one. You know, there's a, there's a real neat instruction in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 given to wives and to husbands. And it tells the wives how they're to be if they have an ungodly husband and they're to, they're to show them beauty from their inner beauty and all that. Then he comes down to the men's section. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And this, and this is so important. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know what the Lord showed me one time? He said to me, Joseph, that girl that I gave to you, that's my daughter. And you better treat her good. Because that's my daughter. And I have two daughters, Ariana and Ajene. And even though Zach's a big old six foot giant, four giant, I don't want him messing up, messing with my daughter. I love my daughter and I'll protect my daughter. Same, now my other son-in-law is a lot more scrawny and skinny so I could probably take care of him. I'm gonna have to be a little smarter with this guy, how to take care of him. But, but I don't want them messing or hurting my daughters because they're my daughters. And our wives are the Lord's daughters, but you're the sons. And he wants us to treat each other with love and respect and kindness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray that, our, that all of us would be encouraged to be godly men, to be men, Lord, who, are, who seek you and who desire to do what you want us to do in our marriages, that we could be godly role models and godly examples, and that, Lord, that we would give our all to serve you, and thus it would be evident in our families, in our wives, our marriages, that we are spiritually following Jesus in his footsteps. May we be those kinds of men. I pray that for all of us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks.